Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Well, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 2. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can find it under events um, and follow along in the notes there. If you follow along there, there's a few extra notes in there um, that will hopefully help you um, as well. So we are in our series titled what? It's on the screen. Church on Fire. Come on. How cool is that art? It's pretty rad. Um, you know, I, I said this before, but it's cool because he's not here and I can brag about it. But my brother Trevor, who does all the, the art for here, he also works for Elevation Church, which is cool. And he does a lot of their, um, he did their most recent album, a lot of the promotion stuff. And then he's currently in North Carolina. They flew him up there because they're recording a new live album and then also doing like a creative roundtable. And he's part of that. I'm just proud of him. You know, it's like my little brother. I'm like, yeah, you're crushing it. Um, So Church on Fire, and uh, we're making our way through the book of Acts and learning what makes a church impactful and long-lasting. What makes a church have an impact, meaning it's not just a a place, like you drive by it, like, oh, yeah, I know that church, it's red. Like everybody that I know, it's like, oh, it's like by Strunk Funeral Home. Like, I know that place. You're like, yeah. Thanks. Um, and, but not just a church that's like, oh, it's a building, it's a location, it's a place, um, but a church that has an impact, that has, a, that has a good reputation in the community, and that God uses, not just in the season that we're in right now, but for long haul, long term. Now, we saw last week as we kicked off the series, the purpose of the church. And we're called to wait on God for strength, And we're called to go into the whole world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That the calling of the church, the purpose of the church is is pretty simple. Jesus said, hey, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And while you wait there or when you wait there, what's going to happen is you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you receive that power, you are then going to be a witness of the message of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that calling, and if you remember, Acts chapter 1 began, that this was the, these are the things that Jesus began to do and teach. So this is just the, we're living in the continuation of the book of Acts. That we are living in, in the era where God is using the church to share his message with the world. So we're talking about how to become a church on fire. Tonight we're going to see the fulfillment of that promise. Remember he said, wait in Jerusalem. We, we sort of left on a cliffhanger. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of his spirit. And so it's going to be the fulfillment of that promise. Um, and then the, the power that is then received through the Holy Spirit. I've titled this message, here comes the power. Come on, somebody. Here comes the power. And then subtitle, clear out the junk. All right. Here comes the power. Subtitle, clear out the junk. All right, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture. Is that okay? So we can, we can understand context, what's going on. Um, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, and then we're going to make our way all the way through uh, 2 verse 15. All right, it says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the brethren, the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Okay, so Peter stands up. They're in this room. They're hanging out. They're talking. They're reading God's word. And he says, hey, um, we got to do something about Judas. He's gone. Right? We all, we all know what Judas did. 
Judas famously betrayed Jesus um, for 30 pieces of silver. Um, and they're like, hey, we got to replace him. The scripture talks about it. And listen to this. Um, Verse 18, now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, so that with that 30 pieces of silver, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became uh, known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, whatever, that is, field of blood. Whoa. So he uses his blood money. He buys a field. Um, in, in another gospel, it tells us that he hanged himself. And most people uh, think that uh, he hung himself and then he fell from that. And when he landed, his guts came out. Um, that's fun. So whoever says the Bible's boring, they're boring. Like, this is exciting. Um, Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So basically what's happening is they're realizing that the scripture prophesied, the scripture said that, uh, that Jesus would be betrayed. And then it says that they are going to replace him. That there was 11 disciples, or there was 12 disciples, Judas left and died. And they're saying, hey, the scripture says we got to replace him we got to add a 12th guy. It was supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. It was all the symbolism, all of this uh, uh, symmetry. And so they're recognizing that. It goes on. Um, and so let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from men, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, uh, who was also called Justice, so this guy had two nicknames, and Matthias, just one name for him. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles, period, new chapter. Okay, so that, that story concludes. They pick Matthias, you're our guy. All right, boom, dap him up. Matthias is a 12. Then it continues. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now let me just pause for just a moment because Pentecost is probably not something we know about. Pentecost was an Old Testament or, 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 or Jewish celebration. It was an uh, agrarian festival. So a festival celebrating agriculture. And basically what they would do is at the beginning of harvest time, they would take their first um, uh, bit of harvest and they would give that to the Lord and it would be the celebration of God's faithfulness. Now this originated 50 days, I think it was 50 days, might be 40 days, ugh, sorry, 50 days, I'm going to go with 50, after the Passover. So if you know Israel's history, this is a quick, just a little history lesson for you. Israel was delivered from Egypt. We sang about that tonight. You stepped into my Egypt. That's like symbolism to the Old Testament story, right, where God delivers them out of bondage to the Egyptians and what is known as Passover. And they, they sacrificed a lamb and gave it to God, and that, that he passed over, long story short. Um, Fifty days later, <laughs> Moses is on Mount Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments, and this begins this festival 
called Pentecost. So they would celebrate Passover. It would be a big deal. Everyone would roll into town. They would, they would celebrate the Passover. That's when Jesus was crucified on the Passover. He was the Passover lamb. He was crucified on that Friday when people would sacrifice the lamb. Jesus laid down as the sacrificial lamb. Like the symbolism is crazy. It's, it, it's, it's like almost like God planned it, right? So, so Jesus died. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. Now, all of the people that came to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem would then stay these 50 days to Pentecost and celebrate Pentecost as well. So there they are celebrating this festival, this event. They're in this upper room. They're all in one place. They're praying together. And suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered. I like that word. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, so you've got these guys, they're celebrating Pentecost, they're up there, they're praying. All of a sudden, the, the Spirit, just like God promised, is poured out upon the people. And this, this, this really uh, unexplainable event happens where a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and there appears these, these like fire symbols on top of each of their heads. It's like, whoa, it's like tongues of fire. And all of a sudden, through the empowering of the Spirit, they begin speaking in languages they don't know. Tongues. They start speaking in other tongues. Now, we're not going to talk about tongues. The Bible has all sorts of things to say about that. But basically, all of a sudden, they speak in a language that they've never studied. Right? It would be like you, you took Spanish all of high school. You didn't take French. And all of a sudden, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you start speaking French. You're like, I've never spoken French before. And that God begins, and then look, it says all the people are like, what the heck? These people are speaking in all these different languages. What's going on? And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, all of these visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Hold on, I gotta pause for a moment. Because it's like, this is like in quotes, like somebody said this. Like, I imagine, like, there's this crowd, and all of a sudden somebody stands up, like, what is this? Somebody's speaking. And they're speaking Parthians and Medes. And like, all right, man, we get it. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it happened. That's just funny to me. Anyways, uh, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them, listen, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So all of a sudden, this, this, this empowering of the Holy Spirit happens. Mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, and these guys start speaking in other languages. And what are they speaking? They're speaking the mighty works of God in the language of the people that were there. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. Now, I don't know about you, but I've like seen my uncle and stuff get drunk. Never does he get smarter. Like, it's not all of a sudden, like, he, like, spoke one language, and now all of a sudden he's drunk and bilingual. Doesn't usually happen. So Peter, verse 14, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
And he said, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Dot, dot, dot. We're going to finish there. Peter goes on and he basically lays out for them the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And it ends, after he gives this message, he ends with sort of a response. And we're told that 3,000 people respond in faith to the message of Jesus. So specifically that 3,000 souls were added to the church. The Spirit of God shows up and brings power just like Jesus said he would. Now the Holy Spirit, simply put, is God's empowering presence. It's the simplest way to understand the person and work of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit does this powerful thing, adding 3,000 people to the church. But the primary work of the Spirit, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight. The primary work of the Spirit and what makes a church on fire is that it becomes, the church becomes a place where individuals are changed and called into their new identity and purpose. That the church becomes a place as a result of the empowering of the Holy Spirit that becomes a place where individuals are changed and called into their new identity and purpose. This is what we see has happened, and this again is what is happening. Now, this is the story of Peter. Now, Peter, we're told, twice stands up and makes these declarations, and Peter also is the one that gives the message, and 3,000 people get saved. But Peter, in Acts chapter 2, and the end of one is a completely different person than the Peter that we know in the Gospels. Peter in the Gospel was, he, he was very impulsive. At one point, Peter pulls out a sword out of nowhere and cuts a guy's ear off because he doesn't like the situation, how it's being played out. He's like, nope, ear gone. And Jesus is like, whoa, buddy, that's not the move. Right, like Peter's impulsive. Um, Peter was also brash. At one point, he claimed that even if, if all of the other disciples denied him, he, Jesus, he would never deny Jesus. He would even die for Jesus. He's like, even if all those guys deny you, I would never. He's like, it's kind of rude, Peter. Like all the other disciples are like, what the heck, man? Like, why'd you drag us into this? He's like, ah, ah. He, he was brash. He was somebody that didn't care what other people thought. And he said just whatever came to his mind. Peter was also a coward. He, he was brash. He, he, he talked a big talk, but he was a coward. Remember, the big story of Peter is that he denied Jesus three times. Actually, it was after Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. And he's like, no, all of them are going to deny you, but not me. And then just a couple of hours later, Peter's like, I don't, I've never, who? No, I don't, I don't know Jesus. It's like, aren't you from, like, his neighborhood? No, 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 I don't know him. Peter was, he was, he was impulsive, he was brash, he was coward. But here he's, he's totally different in Acts 1 and 2. What happened? Well, the Spirit of God came into his life and changed him into his new identity and purpose. He goes from impulsive to empowered, from brash to bold, and from a coward to being confident. This is the transforming work of the Spirit in our lives that is evidence of an impactful church. That God takes individuals like Peter and empowers them with the Spirit, and transform. This is who you were. You were impulsive, and you were brash, and you were a coward, and transforms him, almost like night and day. You're like, wait, you almost have to, like, if you're following the narrative, if you read Luke's gospel, and then you flip over to Acts, and you're, you're like, is this the same guy? Like, what happened? 
What happened? Literally, the last time we see him in Luke's gospel is, is still being impulsive. He denies Jesus. He, he, he's impulsive. And then all of a sudden, he's like very poised and articulate. And very, he like thinks. And he prays. <laughs> and he speaks boldly on the behalf of Jesus. Like what happened? Well, it's the empowering spirit of God. So how does this work? How does this transformation happen? I want to give you two things how this work of God takes place in our life. Number one, it is through patient prayer and obedience to God's word. Patient prayer and obedience to God's word. Now, this section began in the end of chapter 1 with the believers together in a room praying in God's word. And as they were in God's word, God spoke to them. Right? So here they are. The, the story is they're in the upper room. They're waiting just like Jesus told them to. He said, hey, wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And they're like, all right, we're waiting. They're in God's word. And all of a sudden, Peter's like reading God's word. And he's like, hey, hey guys, I just realized something. Um, I, I realized that uh, uh, God said that we were supposed, that, that there would be 12, and then there would be 11, and then there would be a new one. So maybe Judas is gone. Maybe we should, maybe we should replace him. And as they were in God's word, all of a sudden God illuminated something in their life and they took a step of faith. And this is, listen to me, one of the primary ways the spirit of God works in our lives, it is through his word. I mean, that's exactly what Peter said in verse 16. He said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. He recognizes that the Holy Spirit is speaking through God's word. The spirit of God moves upon the people of God first to write the word of God. And then he moves upon his people as they read his word. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence works in your life to transform you and change you and make you into the person that he wants you to become through his word. As you read his word, as you open it up and you, you, allow, you examine yourself, you say, God, speak to me through your word and help me examine my own life as I read this. And you, you read it and you go, okay, do you know what? I'm not doing that. I need to start doing that. Or you read it and you're like, ooh, I did not realize that was in there. I'm doing that. My fault. I'm going to allow God's word to transform me. But it takes time as we invest in God through his word. Peter walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and at the end of it, he was a knucklehead. Like at the end of it, you read the end of the Gospels. You're like, did, Peter, did you learn anything? Peter, what's going on? But God isn't done with Peter. There are a lot of things that he still has to grow in and be changed in, but the word of God is at work in his life. And this is the primary way God empowers and transforms his people. We're going to talk in a moment about tongues of fire and radical movements of God through his spirit. But the primary, listen to me, the primary way we see God working is through patient prayer and obedience to his word. Like I can speak that I have never been in an upper room where I heard mighty rushing wind and I saw tongues of fire on people's head. Not that it doesn't happen. I believe, I believe God still works through his spirit in radical and, and obvious ways. But can I tell you the primary way that God's spirit has worked in my life is through patient prayer and obedience through his word. Patient prayer. God, I'm waiting on you. I'm trusting in you. I'm, I'm, I'm walking through this. I'm taking time. And I'm obedient to your word. The second way God's presence works, his empowering presence, is through is power 
and presence of his spirit. The power and presence of God's spirit. Now, Acts 2 is unique because this is the official outpouring of God's spirit upon all who believe. Before Acts chapter 2, this is important that you understand this. Before Acts 2, there were particular moments that God's spirit was poured out on people. And it was for a specific purpose for a limited time. I wrote a couple references down. um, Encourage you to look at them maybe in your own time. But Exodus 31.1, Judges 14.6. Ezekiel 37, 1, um, and then also Luke 1, uh, who has the Bible, does anybody have the Bible, what is it? Luke 1, 35. So these are are verses, 1 is God moves and empowers, the the first Exodus 3, 31 is actually the first time in scripture where God's spirit pours himself out upon individuals, and it's these two guys named, what are their names? It's like Aholiel and... Bezalel, yeah, Holiel and Bezalel or something like that. But basically God moves on them and they, they are um, artistic and they're, they're craftsmen. And God moves upon their, their, their lives, empowers them to build something for God. It's, one of the first, it's the very first time that God's empowering presence shows up. But it's for a specific purpose for a limited time. In Acts chapter 2, this, this, this brand new thing happens where God's spirit pours out upon all people who believe that you actually become empowered by the spirit of God. And when he pours out a spirit upon people, there's transformation. Now, notice there are supernatural elements to this. We're told tongues of fire. They began speaking another language. God showed up in a radical, obvious, and powerful way. Here's the thing that we want to take note of about this. Because I think the, the, the negative that we could do this is we start looking for tongues of fire. Where we're like, oh, I think I saw something. Like in that worship set, I think I saw it. It's a tongue of fire. And we're like looking for, like we're, the, the point, and what we, we take away, is that when God's spirit is at work, it's obvious. That's the point, right? So where they're like, whoa, rushing wind, tongues of fire, other languages, like, that'll get your attention. The point is when God's spirit is at work, you notice it. That there's something happening. But also notice that, that the empowering of the spirit was very natural and practical. They were empowered with his spirit, and what did they do? They walked outside and told people about Jesus. They, they, didn't, they didn't receive this power from on high and start, like, flying around and just, like, doing all this crazy, oh, my gosh, like, these are super humans empowered by the spirit of God. Like, they're lifting cars over their head. Like, whoa. The guy, like, is like, you shall receive power. And they're, like, lifting stuff up and, like, yeah. No, they literally received power. They walked outside, and they, like, saw somebody, and they're like, man, Jesus is pretty cool. Who's Jesus? Let me talk to you about him. It was, like, very practical. So when God's spirit shows up and he, and he moves, it's, it's obvious, but it's also practical. But it begins with this inward work of transformation. I'm going to invite the worship team up here, and we're going to close with this. The tongues of fire that we mentioned are a picture of purity. Fire in, in scripture is also oftentimes a picture of, of purity or, or something being refined. Um, it melts away, fire melts away the junk 
and brings in the good stuff. Listen to me. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life. He wants to get rid of the junk and fill us with the good stuff. Okay, I've got my illustration. Can you see this? Kind of? Okay. So here's my illustration. God's Spirit wants to melt away the junk, or, or in this case, wash away the junk, and, uh, and transform us into what God wants to do. So I've got um, two cups here. It's got dirt and mud in it. This one does, and this one doesn't have a lid. This one has dirt and mud in it, and it does have a lid. I made a joke that if this illustration doesn't work well, I'm just going to drink the water, and then we'll be like, oh, yeah, that was interesting. Um, But God wants to, as his spirit fills us up, and what, he, what this transforming work that he wants to do, because that's the goal, is transformation. What we, what we said in the beginning is that God's empowering presence wants to transform an individual, change and call an individual into their new identity and purpose. That's what God's doing. He's transforming us. He's changing us and he's calling us into our new identity and purpose. And what happens is God has to clean out junk. But we have to make space for him in our life to clean out that junk. So imagine your life is, is, is we're, we're, we've got stuff in our life that needs to go. And God wants to come in and, and clean us out, but we haven't, we haven't opened up our lives to be cleaned out. And what happens is the Spirit of God can't get in to clean us out. We're, we're blocked up. We've got this lid on our life, and, and we're not allowing the presence of God, the Spirit of God, to clean us out. So what we do is we say, okay, God, like we're saying, here I am, Lord, use me. I surrender myself to you clean out the junk. I'm making space in my life for you. And what can happen when you allow that to happen is, is it might be messy, but ultimately God is going to clean out the junk in your life. And he's going to purify you. And he's going to set you apart. And he's going to make you useful to the kingdom of God. And over time, there's kind of big chunks in there. It's not, oh, it's working. But God wants to clean out as his spirit empowers us, what's going to happen is he's going he's to purge us of, of the stuff in our life. There's things in our life that God wants to clean us out, clean out from us. But we have to be willing to let it into our life or else we're going to be blocked and the stuff's going to stay there. God's empowering presence, what he does in our life is as he, as he fills us up and, as we, and he does it through his word and through his power and his presence. Through patient prayer, through power and presence. He's going to clean us out. He's going to purify us to make us useful to the kingdom. Peter is the ultimate example. He goes from denying Jesus and saying, I don't know him. I've never known him. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. To being empowered by the Spirit. To walk out these doors. To stand in front of a crowd of people. I've got to imagine imagine it's like 10,000 people. I've got to imagine it's like 10,000 people. And he gets up. I don't even, he didn't have a microphone. I don't know how it worked. Like, it's God's power. It's God's presence. It's amazing. Peter stands up, and he's like, let me tell you. And, and the message, if you want to read it, maybe tonight before you go to bed, read the rest of Acts chapter 2 and Peter's sermon. And he talks about the work of Jesus. And people hear it, and they're cut to the heart. They're like, oh, my gosh, that's what we want. We, we want him, and they give their life to Jesus, and 3,000 souls are added. But it's a result of Peter allowing the 
presence of God, the spirit of God to transform them. God wants, God has called you, God is changing you, and God wants to use you. So will you allow his spirit, allow his presence to get down deep and get to every part of your life? Or is there junk that you're holding on to that God wants to clean you out from, but you're unwilling to open it up and say, God, take me from, take this away from me. God, I surrender this to you. I'm giving it to you. I want to be useful. I want to be new. I want to be the person you want me to be. I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be dirty. I don't want to be, I, I want to be cleansed. I want be set free. And as you open up your life and say, God, would you transform me? He's going to do it.